Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Well, we are continuing in our series in the Ten Commandments that we've been walking through as a church. Um, we call it, Thou Shall Be Free. And because the idea of this is that we look at the original context of the Ten Commandments, God gave them these ten rules or ten words after he set them free, which is really important, the order of it, that God had set them free. He gave them grace before he gave them law. And so that's what we believe. You know, God has set us free. So the law then, or these ten words, these ten rules, as relevant as they were back then, are relevant to us today in order to live into freedom. We looked at the first four commands are about how we can love God and the last six are how we can love our neighbor. And so as we've been walking through this, looking at what it looks like to be free people, to live into the owner's manual, so to speak, to follow God's ways, to be free people, um, we are now turning in uh, to the eighth commandment, which is you shall not steal. And as we've kind of gotten to these final commandments, they seem so straightforward, so black and white, right? It's just like, okay, well, we all agree, don't steal. And the same thing we thought with murder or adultery, but what we want to look at is that every time with scripture, when we look at something, we might have a tendency to say, well, yeah, of course that makes sense. But the invitation is not that we would lord ourselves over scripture and think that we own it, but let scripture actually own us, speak to us, inform us that there's so much more going on in this scripture and what Jesus is revealing to us and ultimately the character of God. The Ten Commandments started off with, I am Yahweh your God. I have set you free. And so we want to start off with that reality. Who is God and what is he calling us to? So I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. Um, we're going to go from the beginning all the way to the end, and then we're going to dive into the rest of the scripture. So if you guys have your Bibles, you guys can grab that. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. It says, And God spoke all of these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in its waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not uphold or hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Today's verse, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or, uh, or you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his donkey or ox or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, stealing feels very straightforward, right? It feels so black and white. 
Uh, a new study in Time magazine was tracking teens and young adults. They find that stealing is actually quite common. Um, I remember when I was 15, I was a freshman in high school and I wanted to be cool with my friends. They had no idea that I was doing this, but I was at 7-Eleven and uh, again, the whole idea was like, man, my friends are going to think that I'm so cool. They're going to think that I'm so edgy, I'm so risky, and therefore they're going to look up to me. They're going to praise me. They're going to want to make me feel like I belong. And with that motive, I took Pan Dulce from 7-Eleven, I threw it into my, my backpack and I tried to walk out. Um, very quickly got caught by 7-Eleven. They told me to never come back. And I don't think I've, uh, you know, at least tried to steal in that way ever since. What you see is that at some point in our lives, we tend to have those desires. But what I want to get at is maybe there's something more subtle, more, you know, not as overt that we all step into. It says in the study about one in six have reported having swiped something in the past year. The American Sociological Review, um, this is a little bit of an older review, but I think that it's still really pertinent. Studies of Americans' review on stealing when it came to the size of victim organizations, meaning that small businesses to large businesses to government shifted how people viewed stealing. So when we perceive uh, that there is a bigger organization, we're a little bit indifferent to it, and we might even have disdain toward it, and, towards it, and therefore we might be more prone to stealing from. Like we wouldn't steal from the small boutique over there in Del Mar that we know is owned by the sweet people in our community, but we might be more prone to uh, do the 10 cents, you know, just take that bag, not say you're getting the extra bags from Target as you're walking out. Or even more than that, we're more tempted to look at the government and say, well, you're just a big organization, you're kind of dehumanized and we deface it. And so we, because of that, have an ability to actually step into stealing and not even think about it. We justify those behaviors. And so what we see is that we can step into this Robin Hood mentality of, well, they are bigger, they're not gonna notice, they have more than enough, or they've been robbing us, therefore, and in justification, we can step into very subtle and subversive ways of stealing. And uh, that comes to the main points for today of what is stealing? What is this verse actually getting at? Because if God is who he has been throughout all of these 10 commandments, he is after our heart. So the three points that I want to hit on today, the first is kleptomania. It is a story that is as, told, as old as time. The next one is this point of who owns who, meaning it's a story of defiant stewardship. And then the third one is Between Two Thieves, a story of a healing generosity. So kleptomania, a story as old of, as time. As we look at what does it mean to steal, there's this picture that um, you're going to see on your screen. And it's a, it's a picture that showed on Saturday's Evening Post. It was a painting by Norman Rockwell. And what you'll see is there's this older lady and she's buying a turkey. Um, and there's the older man, the butcher. And in the picture, they're looking up at how much it's going to cost. And they both look really excited about it. You know, they're happy that they're going to be doing this. If you look at the butcher, he's pleased because he's, if you see, he's, point, he's pushing down a little bit to try to get a few more cents on the pound that he can get. But she's equally as pleased because without him seeing, she's pushing up to alleviate some of that. And we do this in subtle ways. This is just a funny depiction of it, but we do this in different ways. Of, well, what is a few cents? What is it if we just kind of slightly manipulate things in a way? So we have to ask the question, what is 
stealing. This is a story as old as time. And so I want to go back to the very first act of theft that happened in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, and this is in Genesis 3.6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She took some and ate it. If you see the progression, she saw, she desired, and she took. In that story, that motif is on repeat from that moment on all through the Hebrew scriptures and on into today. Last week, Benji talked about Psalm 51, and this is the story of David and Bathsheba. And if you look at the words that are used intentionally by God and by the human authors, it's David saw Bathsheba, he desired her, and he took her. Genesis 34, you see Shechem, and he saw Dina. He saw her, he desired her, and he took her. And you see this all throughout the Bible. Again, this is the motif that is in the Old Testament. We have this thing inside of us that is bent where we see, we desire, and we take. Meaning, kleptomania or thievery is built into our heart. It is a story as old as time. We are tempted to just walk out and say, I got zero bags, but I'm gonna take the 10 cents. We are tempted. And at times we do, where we're gonna pay for that extra coffee on the church, on not the church, um, on our company's car. That's my company that I work for. We're tempted for time theft, right? To just say that we're working when we're really not, or we're actually supposed to be on the clock, but we're scrolling through TikTok. What we see is employee theft and time uh, and property costs American businesses and their investors actually more than $200 billion a year. Something that we're like, ah, oh, it's just a couple minutes. I'm just going to step out early. I'm just away from my computer. This actually affects all of us. According to some estimates, as much as one third of the product's costs that we buy goes to actually cover the various forms of stealing that occur on its way to the market, marketplace. This theft surcharge is what they call it. The analysts call it. It's a drag on the entire economy. So what we might see, and we just are full of this circle, we're in this cycle, as just a small minor thing actually ends up costing the economy as a whole. And as we do that, the prices rise, and then we justify taking once again, and it turns into a cycle in which things get worse and worse. Martin Luther, he identified certain men in his day as gentlemen swindlers or big operators, far from being picked Picklocks or sneak thieves who loot a cash box. They sit in office chairs and are called great lords and honorable, good citizens, and yet with a great show of legality, they rob and steal. John Calvin then says, It follows, therefore, that not only are those thieves who secretly steal property of others, but those who seek gain from the loss of others accumulate wealth by unlawful practices and are more devoted to their private advantage than equity. Luther then says to break the Eighth Commandment, whatever we do, it's when we take advantage of our neighbor in any sort of dealing that results in loss to them. What we see is that with stealing or anything, it is an inward focus. What am I going to gain? And it's typically at the loss of someone else or a neighbor. I mean, when I park my car, I hit the button five times because I'm afraid of someone stealing my car. I could hit it one time, but there's something about me, I hit it five times. We lock our, we lock our car, we lock our house, you know? And when you have your phone, you have to change your password like every other month. We have all of these things that are set up because we live in a society where we know kleptomania, 
thievery is alive and well. And I think perhaps maybe worst of all, the Bay News wrote this article. This is a well-known fact. The Holy Bible, known as the best-selling book of all time, holds a surprising distinction. It is the most commonly shoplifted book worldwide with a notable tendency of being taken from hotel rooms. The irony is, is that it's in the Bible is do not steal, and yet it is the most stolen book. Thievery is alive and well. Kleptomania. Klepto is in our hearts. So verse 15, it says, do not steal. The Hebrew word for do not steal is the word ganab, um, which means to thieve, to deceive, secretly steal, and steal by stealth specifically. There are other Hebrew words that could have been used for steal. So this one actually has uniqueness and we have to pay attention to why did they use this word? And it's because there's this secretive quality to it. The other Hebrew words don't have this secrecy to it. So it's not only about obvious and overt stealing where you take someone else's stuff, it's also the subtle, the secretive, the deep, the silent, the sly ways that we want to misuse things or take things or then justify things. It's stealing with craftiness. It's even in our hearts when we have the desire to steal. And this is actually better seen in the word klepto, where kleptomania or kleptomaniac comes from. It's the Greek rendition in the Septuagint or the Greek rendition of the Hebrew Bible where that word klepto, it's to deceive, to cheat, to flatter, to hold secretly, to hold, right? To conceal or hide or hold back from someone. So at this point, where well, we thought it was just a straight up command, do not steal, now it's actually meddling in our business. See, the Bible is pretty good at that. It wants to get to our motives. It wants to get to our hearts. So Yahweh is prohibiting not only the overt act of seizing someone else's property, but the, the deeper, secret, hidden, crafty, taking as well as keeping what is not ours. And Jesus addresses this as we see in Matthew 21 where he goes into the temple. And when he walks into the temple, what he says is really fascinating. In chapter or verse 12, he says, Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers, den of thieves. Why did he call them robbers? when they were just selling things. Sure, they were selling things for money. Sure, they were doing all of these things that might have been legal in the space, but why did he call them thieves? Well, it's because the sacrificial system, you're traveling from far outside of Israel. You can't afford to bring your cattle or your doves all the way to Israel. And so what they would do, they set it all up in the temple courts, and then you would buy it, but they would, they would hike up astronomical prices. Therefore, not just doing it at a good business rate, but in order to gain at someone else's loss. He also called them thieves because it was the money changers. So if you're coming from out of town, you don't have the currency. And so to do a currency exchange, they didn't just do it at a proper exchange rate. It was astronomical, again, at the rate for you to gain at the sake of others. And so we have to ask the question, what is Jesus' definition of stealing? What is Jesus' definition to be a robber or to be a thief? And what we see back in Genesis, it's to see, to desire, and to take, or to hold, to deceive. And when it comes down to it, it is an inward focus. 
It's where we look outward at everyone else, but really we look inward at ourselves and say, I want to protect me. Stealing is a failure to love our neighbor. Which then gets to the next point. Who owns who? Who owns who? Because typically when it comes down to our possessions, we're like, well, I own this. And that's kind of why we have possessiveness. I'm not going to let you have it. I own this or that deserves to be mine and therefore I'm going to take it. But I think when it comes down to it, stealing is a litmus test, not necessarily in the act, but it's a litmus test of what's inside of our heart. Again, like I said, it becomes self-centered. We can justify and reason why we should steal. And then we begin to bargain, right? Well, it's like, oh man, it's just 10 cents or they kind of took them from me and my taxes, so I'm gonna save this number instead of this number. And we do the bargaining. And if you ever played with sin, you know bargaining does not ever end well. So stealing doesn't simply reveal something about us, right? It's this deeper heart issue. Ultimately, stealing tells a story of who we truly believe God to be. A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Which is why, again, why before God gave us the Ten Commandments, he started off with, I am Yahweh. I am God. I set you free. Remember who I am. Everything else flows from that. And so when we think of God, all of these commands, it's, it's we need to have the right view of him. And this is what happens. This is our view of God when we steal or we hold tightly to things. We're concluding three conclusions. One, God is not that good. He's really not that good. And two, he can't be trusted. If God can't be trusted to provide for my needs, if he's not that good and wants good things for me, then number three, I must take matters into my own hands. Possessiveness, all of it is born out of fear. Whether it's you holding back and you not being lavish or generous or free to give or extend towards someone else, or you taking from someone else. All possessiveness is born out of fear. Fear, which turns into worry, and worry that turns into anxiety. And maybe we thought that we trusted God in the beginning, but then it starts to turn into we should trust ourselves more. Fear of lack of control. It is a scarcity mindset that when we see something, we take something. And so this command to not steal is trying to calibrate us to a right view of possessions. In other words, what God is trying to reveal to us is not that we actually own our possessions. If we are in that mindset of seeing and taking and possessiveness, it's actually that our possessions own us. Now I want to do a caveat real quick to the Eighth Commandment. Some people might be like, well, then maybe we shouldn't own stuff at all, right? We should just get things, get rid of everything, share everything with everybody. And like, I do believe we should share things and we, we shall have a right view of possessions. However, if there's something to be stolen, that means that you actually own something. And so this right view, this caveat in the Eighth Commandment is not to say that you shouldn't own things, that you shouldn't possess things, but you shouldn't let the things possess you. It's okay for you to have a house and a car and to have clothes and then even to be nice. But at the end of the day, the question is, do your possessions own you? Do you have a grip? Do the possessions have a grip on you in which if it were to be gone, what would that do to your soul? Or if you see someone else's, do you look at it and say, man, I really want that? So this is against selfishness of possessions, not possessions themselves. 
So this is what happens with many people, right? We steal, we keep, and what it's revealing is that we don't own our possessions, our possessions own us. And so I wanna get back to the heart of God because the reality is, is that if we aren't able to release control of something or if our possessions own us, if we can't continue forward without that thing or we need to hold on to this tightly or we need to grab from someone else, the real question is, are you free? Because the heart of God, this back to the context of the Ten Commandments, he just set them free. And he's trying to tell them, this is how you live into freedom. Don't let possessions own you. And don't have such a tight grip on possessions. Don't covet other people's possessions as we're going to talk about later. Don't let them own you. I want you to live into freedom. I don't want you to go back to those horrible slave masters in Egypt or even worse, I don't want you to be underneath the control of the enemy. And this is why I say that, because John 10, 10, famously Jesus says the thief or the enemy. But notice the language, the thief. He comes only to steal and then to kill and to destroy. But Jesus comes, we may have life. Notice the progression. It starts with stealing, it moves towards killing, and it ultimately ends in destruction. There is a progression. Stealing is a gateway into deeper darkness. And so when we get into this, I see, I desire, and I take klepto heart, ultimately what we're doing is in alignment with what the thief, the ultimate enemy, his character, not the character of God. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So if the earth is God's and everything in it is his, we actually don't own. That question of who owns who, well, what do we actually own? We don't own anything. If the earth is the Lord's, we steward. So what does it look like? Stewardship ultimately is an issue of the heart. Joy Davidman says, property is neither a sin nor an alienable right, but it's a loan. It's a trust from God. The most famous teaching on this Jesus gave in Matthew 25, verse 14, he says again, it will be like a man who goes on a journey who called his servant and trusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold to another two and to one, one bag and each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. And so also with the one who had two. And then when he got to the person who had one, rather than investing it and multiplying it and stewarding it, he buried it. And the words that Jesus had for him were harsh and scary because the reality is, is God in this parable, but what we see at the very beginning where he says in Genesis 2, when he's created us, he said, I created you to co-rule, to be fruitful, to, be multi to multiply, to subdue the earth, to do that with me. He created us to be cultivators, to steward, to take good gifts and to bless and to bring flourishing and beauty. But what we do with stealing is we look inward and we go self-protection and we don't steward. And so what he's calling us here is to a whole different framework. And I love how Jerry Bridges um, observes this. He says, there are three basic attitudes towards possessions. The first one is, what's yours is mine. I'll take it. This is the attitude of a thief. But the second one is, what's mine is mine. I'll keep it which is still encompassed in this Ganab word or this klepto word. It's the attitude that most of us have. It's this inward focus. And then the third one is, 
the attitude that we want to embody is what's mine is God's. Let's share it. The question when it comes to our property is not how much should I give to God, but rather if it's, if it's the Lord's, how much would God actually have me keep for myself? It's a whole different framework shift when we realize that what we have is actually God's. Stewardship affects everything in our life. When we see our life as stewardship, then all of a sudden everything that we have to the breath in our lungs, to the possessions that we have, to our finances, to our bodies, to our friendships, all of it is how can we now love outwardly with it? How can we invest this? Ultimately, this is how we flourish in a community. I was thinking about my son, and we were at the park this morning. And, uh, and when he sees something, he just wants it. He doesn't even realize someone else is holding it. He'll just take it anyways. And so we're trying to teach him how to share. We're trying to teach him that is not yours. You can't take it. And how to get in line. Where, hey, someone else is on the ladder right now. You can't just climb up. And we're trying to have him just have a mindset of like, there are other people in this world, and your actions affect other people. And what I was trying to think about, I was like, man, if we don't do this hard work of teaching him this now at such a young age of how to share, how to realize that you can't steal, he will have no friends growing up. So the reality is, is that when we live with this inward focus, this scarcity mindset, this fear-based mentality, this klepto heart, what ends up happening is that it totally affects community. We find ourselves isolated because we don't know how to share. And what, what happens is that we don't experience the joy of sharing within community, but we also don't know how to receive when someone shares back. Either we feel like we're owed, and so therefore it's not a blessing, or we'll just deny it, which is a pride position. And ultimately, at the end of the day, God wants us to be people who steward all things. It's not ours. It's His. It's gift. And so when it comes to this idea of you shall not steal, I think we ask two questions typically. Well, one question. We typically ask, how do I not steal? What is not stealing? And that's not a bad question. Obviously, we don't want to steal. And as we've seen, it's a little bit ambiguous and it can be a bit muddy because it's this sly, kind of subtle, deceptive thing. But I, I think that that question is just saying, where's the line? And as humanity, because we have this inward bent heart, we have a klepto heart, a heart that says, I see, I desire, I take. Because we have that heart, we actually tend to get as close to the line as possible. And one temptation can push us over the line. I don't think that's the right question. See, if God is always trying to get to our heart, God is always trying to reframe our motives, and he's trying to restore us back to how he created us, I don't think the question that he's trying to ask when he says, you shall not steal, is how close to the line can I get? He's not trying to keep you in line. God is trying to create a new human being inside of you and inside of me. I think the question is, how can I be so generous with God's stuff that stealing isn't even in the mind? How can I see myself in such a way that I want to see how I can bless? Because the opposite of stealing is not not stealing. That's morally neutral. I was talking with a friend this day, uh, the other day, and he was like, man, with not stealing, what makes us different than an atheist or an anti-theist or an agnostic or a nun? 
And I'll be like, you're right. Everybody, despite the facts, everybody would still cognitively agree stealing is not good. And so the difference for us in the heart of Jesus and what God has created us to do is not to just simply not steal. The opposite is to bless. We were blessed to be a blessing. Kent Hughes says that every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual deification of money. And Daryl Johnson says, God blesses people so that we become blessings. Not to let the blessing become a blessing is to steal a blessing. I think that's such a funny way of saying it. I think it's poignant that if blessings are a gift from God, it's all of his, that to not extend it again is also to steal, which lands us with Jesus. At the end of the day, we realize that we have a klepto heart, a heart that is bent inward towards itself. We have disordered loves where we desire things, we see it and we take it. And God wants to change our hearts. He wants us to not simply just not steal. He wants us to bless, which makes me think about Jesus's final act on the cross. And so this is the final point between two thieves. This is a story of healing generosity. In Matthew 27, verse 38, it says that Jesus, about Jesus, there were two robbers who were crucified with him, two thieves that were crucified with him. In your version, it might say criminals. The word is robber or thief, and they were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The first thief was the one that was hanging on on the cross, and he looked at Jesus. After this other thief just said, hey, if you're the Messiah, why can't you just get down from there? And this other thief said, are you kidding me? He didn't say it like that. That's my version. He, he blesses Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus gave him this answer back and he says, you will be with me today in paradise. You will be with me today in paradise. You see in this moment, Jesus is doing something radically different. If you're familiar with John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God saw us and so loved us that he gave. Do you see the flip, the reversal of Genesis 3? And then what he says is, You will be with me today in paradise. That word paradise is the word of the garden. It's the Greek word that is used for the garden of Eden. What he's saying is back in the garden when the first thievery happened, he looks at the thief and he says, that was your story, that is your heart, but today I'm giving you a new heart. You'll be with me in the restoration of it. Because God, Jesus, saw us and rather than desiring inwardly and taking, he desired and loved outwardly, and he gave. See, God is after, he wants to take our klepto heart and give us a new heart, a heart in which this healing generosity transforms us so that we don't only just become good stewards, but we ask the question, how do I bless? I think about if you're running towards blessing other people, if you're thinking to yourself, how do I give generously? Like Jesus, how do I see people and have an outward expression of love that gives? You're far from seeing, desiring, and taking. 
That's not even in your mind because what you're thinking is how can you bless? You're following the way of Jesus. See, the reality is God's heart is not, again, just to keep us in line. He wants to restore us to our true humanity. We echo Jesus' prayer where he says, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look, the heart of the Lord in the Ten Commandments is not just to say, like, I've set you free, now just like kind of figure it out and just be morally neutral. God has put his spirit inside of his people. He hung on a cross for the sake of giving us a new heart so that we can be restored to the humanity that we're supposed to be back in paradise, in the garden where God says, I am calling you to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth, to benefit, to flourish. God does not just want us to get through life that we can look at the world and say, it's going to hell in a handbag, quote unquote but that we can look at the world and as Jesus did in love, we can see it, love it, and give ourselves to it. And in so doing, we will not just not steal. We will see beauty. We will see restoration. We will see healing. We will see blessing. See, God is loving us and blessing us so that we can be a blessing to others. It's the restoration of our klepto heart to the heart of Jesus. Jen Wilkins says that when we pray, when we steal, we're praying, my kingdom come and my will be done. But Jesus' prayer is, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. Guys, we need to have this bigger vision, this bigger vision that that just isn't about us not stealing. It's about us being brought back into blessing. God and Jesus, through the Holy Spirit in us, is setting us free and helping us walk in freedom where we aren't possessed by our possessions, but we are set free to lavishly be generous, to steward it, to give generously, to love others. And by doing so, we are following the eighth command. This is the heart of God, restoration and blessing and beauty through you and through me. Let's pray. Lord, that is exactly what we want in our community. And so I just pray for every one of us, Lord, um, that we would not actually experience a sense of shame in looking at areas, man, I totally biffed it there and I, I stole there and I fell short there. I think you're trying to elevate our vision, Lord, to realize for one, that as much as you have a high standard, you've provided the grace that extends the gap between our ability and that standard at the cross where you hung between two thieves and you died the thief's death in our place so that we can have a new heart to not only not steal, but to be a blessing. And so Lord, I pray for every one of us that you would give us a new vision, that you aren't asking us to simply just not do something. You are calling us into restoration. You're calling us back into who we are. So Holy Spirit, Would you put that desire and that passion inside of us to see that we can actually be bringers of goodness and beauty and mercy and wholeness and blessing to the world around us. God, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth in our life and through our life as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.